guys may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you. I don't know how. Oh, oh somebody strong. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. Good morning. Good to see you all. And uh, I would like to say thank you so much for uh, allowing me and my family to go on a missions trip. Uh, we went and spent, we left Sunday morning two weeks ago and got back Monday of this week, actually almost Tuesday morning this week. And uh, one of the things that was great for me, it was a family trip, so I got to go with everybody. Four-fifths of my family went, all right? We left my young daughter at home with some family, at, not at home, with family. Uh, yeah, we just, like, left some food out and said, hey, you'll be all right for nine days. But, uh, no, we had a great time, an amazing trip. I wish I had some video and pictures to show you. We thought we'd have some this morning, but it didn't work out. Um, but one of the things that you guys can be praying about uh, was really cool. Uh, last Sunday, uh, there was at one point, there was almost 60 coastal people in Honduras because the two teams were kind of overlapping for about a day, day and a half. And so thank you all for sending those teams and praying for them. And, and there's the uh, one team that's coming back from Honduras um, tomorrow. And so just be in prayer for them. But one of the things that you're going to be praying about, uh, the home that you built for Sparrow Missions, it's going to house seven or eight children uh, with some house parents. I got to meet the house parents, so that was excellent. But uh, Sparrow is attempting uh, to bring five siblings that are in three different orphanages in Honduras into this home. So reunite a family, essentially, uh, in the home that you built. So be in prayer about that. That's, that, take, that takes some logistics uh, to make that happen. So I think that's really exciting, don't you? And so uh, to reunite a family. So be in prayer about that, okay? Wanted to give you, uh, and by the way, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 to 15. That's where we're going to jump in this morning. If you have a handout in your bulletin, I would encourage you to follow along there. Uh, while you're kind of getting that out, I haven't really given a, a Kroger update in a while. And so just uh, kind of an FYI. Uh, Kroger has pretty much cleared the building. It's really empty. We are still on target uh, to close, Lord willing, the first week of August. Okay, so that's the target. Uh, it's not far away, so uh, continue to pray. Can thank you for your donations that are making that happen. And, and uh, so it's getting very, very exciting. It's getting very real. And uh, so just continue to pray about that, okay? While I was away, um, uh, the United States of America, the Supreme Court, made some changes to the law. I'm sure many of you are aware and, and approved same-sex marriage. I'm not preaching on that this morning. However, it's the 4th of July, and uh, today's passage is a passage that's culturally sensitive. Um, a lot of people tell me this passage is hard to understand. I say, no, it's not hard to understand. It just smacks against the culture. That's the problem with the passage today. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is uh, I just want to pray for our country. I think that uh, as Christians, uh, we need to continue to do that. The Apostle Paul encourages us to do that in Romans chapter 13. Uh, the culture is running 100 miles an hour in the opposite direction of what the Bible teaches. And there's a part of me that makes me nervous. There's another part of me that goes, you know what? It's going to make the church shine all the brighter. As the culture realizes there's no hope and there's no joy in going the opposite direction of the things of God, we are going to offer freedom in Christ. Does that make sense? And so it excites me about the church. It excites me about how God is positioning Coastal Community Church. And uh, we're going to continue to preach the word as the word of God and, and ask that the gospel of Jesus be lifted up and hearts and lives be drawn to freedom in Christ. Okay? So I want to pray this morning. Can we do that? And then we'll dive into our text. Heavenly Father, 
We enter into your presence in the name of Jesus Christ, our only hope. Pastor Joey reminded us that left to ourselves, our hearts are wicked, and um, we can't discern right from wrong apart from your truth, apart from the work of your Holy Spirit that gives new life, new hearts, and apart from the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And many of us sit in this room this morning having been converted to Christianity by the power of your spirit coupled with the power of your word in an understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We know that freedom. We know what real life is. And we give you praise and we give you thanksgiving. God, it's, it's Independence Day weekend. It's the full, we just celebrated the 4th of July, the birth of this great nation. God, we have, you have blessed our socks off as a nation, God. And we give you thanksgiving and we give you praise. But we pause this morning, God, and we just want to give prayer for our country. We pray for our officials of this country, whether it be the high court, Congress, the president, God, our state officials or our local officials, God. We want to lift up those who you have given leadership to. We ask that they may draw wisdom from you. They may draw wisdom from the word of God. God, I pray for a great awakening, a spiritual awakening in this country. I pray, God, as a culture, as we rush towards idols that we think will bring fulfillment, God, that when we head in that direction as a country, as a culture, we'll realize there's no life and there's no hope. And as a church, we can stand in the middle of that as a beacon of hope. Help us to address these culturally sensitive topics with love and with grace as you are a God who have given much grace to us. But help us not to waver on the truth as a church, the truth of the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in your church and that your people would rush towards holiness and righteousness in honor of their Savior, Jesus Christ, to worship him. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Pastor Andrew started tackling us last week, did an awesome job, by the way, uh, as the pastor. It's great to know that I can go on a missions trip and, and the corporate services are done so well. Pastor Joey, you've done a great job, you know, developing your team. Pastor Andrew did a great job. I listened to both messages this week. They were awesome. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Tough passage. Ready? Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let a woman teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly, for God made Adam first, and afterwards he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was a result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. This is the passage we're going to look at this morning. As I was thinking about this, I was like, wow, I'm... This is a message prepared by a man talking about the role of women on a Sunday morning. What could possibly go wrong this morning, right? <laughs> the re one of the reasons I preach through books of the Bible each year is it, it requires that I tackle some tough texts. In fact, one of the problems I see in America is not the them out there, it's not the, the Supreme Court, it's not Congress, it's not the President, it's that the Church of Jesus Christ is running away from tough texts. We no longer want to address them anymore. We're, we, we preach a bunch of felt-need sermons, and by the way, I think felt-need sermons are okay. I preach them from time to time. They have their place. 
But when we never take a book of the Bible as a whole and teach through it, what we tend to do as pastors is not teach the tough parts, right? We never instruct our congregation. One of the instructions I'm given as a pastor is to make sure I teach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And this is one of those passages this morning. And so I hope to cover this text with cultural sensitivity in a short amount of time. But my hope above all else this morning is to be biblical, honoring to women, unified as a church, and teaching what the Apostle Paul has given to Timothy. Now let me be clear. This is a high-level view of this passage. I could never cover every possible situation, okay? So some of you may have questions. They'll have to be taken off to the side. I want to give you two resources that I think will be beneficial to you, okay? The first one is a very thick book. I know it looks really intimidating, but it's broken down into very readable sections. I guarantee you, if you have some question after this service about what I'm going to teach on, this book probably covers it. Okay, it's called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, A Response to Evangelical Feminism, John Piper and Wayne Grudem, okay? This book can actually be downloaded for free. I'm not sure where, but I think it's on your Kindle, okay? Uh, so you don't even have to purchase this book, okay? Second book I just read last week uh, while I was on my trip, incredible, incredible book. It's called The Accidental Feminist, Restoring Our Delight in God's Good Desire or Good Plan, okay? Uh, we have these for purchase out at the Welcome Center, all right? And you can we're selling them at our cost so that you, if you want to take it home, do some extra reading. Man, it's a great book. I would really encourage you. I'm going to reference it a little bit. I really encourage you to read it, all right? Now, before I teach this morning, anytime I teach a tough passage like this, one that smacks against the culture, and you go, man, I don't understand. The culture's saying this. The Bible's saying this. Which is it? I always like to give you my presuppositions. We all come to the Bible with certain presuppositions, yes? All right? So I like to give you mine. So you go, oh, well, I get it. This is, this is how he's tackling this text. Number one, all right, my first presupposition before we even unpack this text, the Bible is God's word. It's our authority, all right? And so, and so as the Supreme Court rules this week, as we look at this passage this morning, we've got to ask a question. Is this book in authority over our lives? That's the, that's the bottom line question. And, and, you know, whenever we have a theological debate, we have to ask the question, what is, what is the clear teaching of this book? And then do I choose to submit my life to the teaching of this book, the Bible? And so the Bible is God's word when rightly interpreted. Now, let me talk about a proper biblical hermeneutic. Okay, that's a big word. But that means how do I interpret the Bible? Okay, what, what is my process for interpreting the Bible? Number one, all right, with the New Testament is, is uh, it helps us to understand the Old Testament. In other words, we don't read the Old Testament into the New Testament, but rather we read the New Testament into the Old Testament. It's the idea of progressive revelation, that God has revealed himself over time, and the newest revelation is the New Testament. Does that make sense? All right? And so we can't bring the Old Testament into the New Testament, but it's the other way around. Number two, we let clear passages of Scripture help us understand unclear passages of Scripture. Does that make sense? So whenever there's a, a teaching of Scripture, go, oh, that's really clear. So when it comes to the role of women inside of the church, okay, this is, in my opinion, one of the clearest passages of Scripture. Because the Apostle Paul teaches, he is in the process of teaching a young pastor how to order his church so that there's functional order inside the church. Does that make sense? 
Now, uh, there's a, uh, the, 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 your English text in, in some ways does a disservice by giving us chapter titles, right? Chapter one, chapter two, chapter, that wasn't in the original text. That was added later so that we, in a corporate setting we could easily find what the pastor's talking about. Okay, but it's clear that chapter two and chapter three, if there were no chapter titles, is Paul is instructing Timothy on a functional order inside the church so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be, can be guarded in a healthy sense and unleashed on a, on a culture so that people can find freedom in Christ. Does that make sense? And so this is a clear passage. And so... Uh, when someone disagrees with me and they bring up Old Testament characters like Deborah, I believe that they're reasoning the wrong way. They're going from the Old Testament into the New Testament. I don't have time to unpack all the, every single biblical issue like, about a judge like Deborah, but I believe that this is the clear passage that instructs us on other passages of Scripture. And so then the question is, if this is the Word of God, are we willing to submit to it? All right, that's presupposition number one. Presupposition number two. God models for us functional submission. Everybody hear me on that. This is huge to what we're going to talk about this morning. See, we hear the word submission, man, and we go like, whoo, you know, we come out of our seats, you know, oh, no. But the God of the Bible has a functional submission within his own being. It's called the Trinity, right? The Bible teaches that God is one God, but he's revealed himself in three persons, one God, Three distinct but equal persons. God the Father is the creator and the sustainer of all. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. Even though he was God equal with God the Father, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Philippians 2. And John chapter 6, verse 38, where Jesus said, I've come to do the will of my heavenly Father. And the Holy Spirit is a signpost equal with God the Father, equal with God the Son, but is a signpost that points us to be a worshiper of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so inside, the, the different, there are differences in the Godhead, but they are honored by all the persons of the Godhead. Different persons, but equal. It's a great mystery to be sure, okay? But God models for us functional submission. Number three, Third presupposition, God has established functional order as an overflow of his person and in accordance with his divine wisdom. In other words, that's a big mouthful that means this. God knows how it best works. Yes? God created it all. God wound up the clock. He knows how the clock best works. And he's defined for us because of his divine wisdom, because of his personhood. He's defined for us what, how, how functional order best works in society. And by the way, there is functional order, functional submission all over the scriptures that are given to both men and women. Citizens are called to submit to their governments, Romans chapter 13. That's men and women. It's functional submission. Employees are submit to their employers, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. There's functional order inside of our homes, Ephesians 5. We're called to submit to one another. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. Husbands are called to submit to Christ. Children are called to submit to parents. By the way, if there's no functional order inside of society, what you end up with is the end of the book of Judges. Anybody know how the end of the book of Judges ends? 
Everybody ran around and did what was right in their own eyes. Sure sounds like a culture we're living in pretty quickly. Man, I am tired. I'm weary of every interview that I hear on CNN. A person's in, I'm saying, I just want to be happy. Well, what if your happiness means that it depends on you being immoral? Did you ever think about that? Now, this is an extreme example, okay? But it, go, it can go this far, and it has gone this far in history. This is why we have to be vigilant about morality. It's why the church needs to be the leaven of society. Say, wait a minute, this is the standard of God because it's his character, but it can go this far. What made Hitler happy? See, it's a, it's a false presupposition if your happiness is the end result because as, as, as Pastor Joy just read, man, our hearts, we can even deceive ourselves if we're not careful. It's not about our happiness. God has set up functional order all over the place in church life. Church members are submitted to our church leaders. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. There's functional submission all over society, reflects who God is in his person, and because he knows best how to order our society for the good of all. So it is in this passage we're going to look at this morning. Presupposition number four. It takes both sexes, male and female, to reflect the image of God. Isn't that interesting? It takes both sexes, male and female, to reflect the image of God. This is not the, the idea here is not that one sex is better than the other sex. Both sexes are needed to reflect the nature of God. How do I know this? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In other words, it takes a man and a woman to, to reflect the image or the nature of God. So it's not one sex is better than another sex, but both sexes are needed. Number five, presupposition number five. That means that we're equal in our soul, but we're different in our role. Does that make sense? We're equal in our soul, but we're different in our role. Just like, just as a mirror of the Godhead. We're to honor our differences just as God honors the differences within the Godhead. Number six, because we're going to hit on this, biblical leadership, and we're going to head down this road over the next few weeks. Biblical leadership is always servant leadership. The idea of leadership in the Bible means we always die to ourselves and we serve the ones that we're leading. Just as Jesus modeled, okay, dying for his people, dying for his church, okay? So I hope that sets the stage. We're going to jump into the passage now, all right? You're like, holy cow, that was... That just so you know, those are six distinct sermons. I don't have time. You're kind of have, having to go with me with one-liners, okay? There's six distinct sermons. There, some of them I have preached before, okay? But I believe these are six things. There's probably more, but these are six things that I bring to this text, okay, as I read it and as I interpret it. And I believe that they're appropriate for a Christian worldview and an important foundation, an important grid through which you need to view this passage of Scripture and all passages of Scriptures, okay? So before I jump into the text, there's two things I want to address, okay? Number one, I want to tell you what this passage is not about, okay? This passage is not defining for us roles, men and women's roles inside the workplace. It's not. It's not defining for us roles within politics. It's not defining for us roles within, within education. The context of this passage is defining for us 
church life and corporate worship. Does that make sense? That's the application. To run with it in other areas of life is not a fair uh, application of this passage. In fact, verse 8 lets us know, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, that this is, Paul is addressing corporate worship. The next chapter reminds us that he's continuing to talk about the context of the church and church structure, chapter 3. Okay? Number two, the second thing I want you to know about this passage, the difficulty of the passage. Because people say, when I told you I was teaching on this this week, it's been, it's been interesting to watch people shock. <gasps> You're talking about it? I'm like, it's just the Bible. You know, we should be okay. You know, it's like, oh, that's a difficult passage. The difficulty of this passage, ready for this, is not in understanding it. The difficulty of this passage is not understanding it. It's actually exceedingly clear. Okay? And, and I'm going to address this in a minute, it doesn't seem to be a local concern. I want you to hear that. It doesn't seem to be a local concern specific to just this church that Timothy is pastoring. Rather, it's, it's a cultural concern or it's a specific instruction that I believe is given to all churches and all cultures for all times. How do we separate the two? All right. How do you know? Like, Sean, how do you know? And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But here's how we know. I'll give you one example. Pastor Andrew did a great job last week on a sermon, Desiring God or Desiring Attention. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Paul writes, Likewise, also, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or, and gold or pearls or costly attire, okay? And I'm not going to re-preach Pastor Andrew's sermon, but how do you discern out of this, of this verse what is cultural and applicable to all churches for all time? And how do you know what is a local concern or maybe a cultural application? What's the main principle out of 1 Timothy 2.9? What's the main principle there? No one wants to shout. It's modesty, right? And respectability. Now, what is cultural to that is what that looks like. Is it braided hair? Is it certain certain way we dress? Is it is it certain jewelry? That is the cultural aspect that changes from culture to culture. But what doesn't change is the principle of how corporate how women are to worship in corporate worship. Does that make sense? And so we're gonna I'm gonna unpack for you this morning why this is not a cultural local concern. All right. So. Um, it, it, this, is, this, is a, uh, um, this is not a difficult passage. The difficulty is because our culture has been influenced by a worldview known as feminism. Yes? All right. Now, a lot of people say, well, fem feminism has done some great things. Actually, I think Christianity has done some great things, and we'll unpack that in a minute. And, and feminism has taken partial truth and influenced our thinking in regards to the church. And so with that in mind, I, I would encourage you, and I'm going to read a couple of quotes from this book. I really, really, if, if, you're, if you're bucking against me a little bit, I want you to encourage you to read this book, okay, The Accidental Feminist, Restoring Our Delight in God's Good Design by Courtney Rasig, okay? It's a great, great book, okay? Now, let's dive into the passage. You ready? You guys are like, are we ever going to get out of here? You are, I promise you, okay? All right, number one. Paul's encouragement to women, and Pastor Andrew hit on this last week um, because I was out of the country. We maybe didn't communicate as best we could, but he did an awesome job, so I don't want to spend a ton of time here. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, women should learn quietly and submissively. Okay, The idea of women's freedoms in our culture is birthed out of Christianity. What Paul is teaching here is revolutionary to ancient Near Eastern culture. 
All right, if we were to, if we were to turn the clock back some 2,000 years and you walk down the streets of, that, of the streets that these churches were planted in and you walk down the streets that Jesus walked down, it was uncommon. In fact, it was forbidden for women to be educated. And so Paul here is saying, not so in the church. The church should educate women. And he says, I want women to learn quietly. Okay, it doesn't mean they never talk. Doesn't mean women should never speak. In fact, there are times in scripture where we see women speaking, usually with their husbands, okay? Opening the scriptures and teaching. Titus chapter 2. Titus says older women should instruct the younger women. Titus 2, verse 3. 2 Timothy 3:14. Timothy, Pastor Timothy, is reminded who taught him the scriptures. And we learn that in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 5, where who taught him the scriptures was his mother and his grandmother. Okay, so there were women that influenced Timothy who became a pastor. Doesn't mean a woman is always quiet about the word of God. Acts chapter 18, we see Priscilla and her husband Aquila. They pull Apollos off to the side after Apollos does some public teaching and they instruct him in the ways of the scriptures. So it doesn't mean that you never open your mouth. What it does mean is that there's a, in the corporate setting, there's an honoring of leadership, there's a spirit of contentment, and there's a peaceable and serene spirit, which, by the way, okay, and again, Pastor Andrew hit on this last week, this was all new to women. Women were never allowed to learn anywhere. The instruction that Paul's giving these women is no different than any congregant. Does that make sense? We are all to learn in such ways. We're not disruptive in the corporate service. Does that make sense? That's all Paul is saying. Okay, but Paul does give some prohibitions. Okay, and here they are. Ready? This is where it gets uncomfortable. Paul prohibits teaching and spiritual authority over the men in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. He says, I do not let a woman teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. All right? And so in this passage, the idea of teaching and authority are closely connected, yes? Okay, so the idea of teaching and authority are closely connected. There is a spiritual authority when the pastor gets up and teaches in corporate worship. I think most of us agree on that, right? I mean, there's probably you've sat in a corporate worship service and a pastor, it could have been me, it could have been another pastor, and there's a, there's a thing, there's a spiritual thing that's happening here. The Holy Spirit, uh, the Word of God couples together and instructs us, it convicts us, it molds us more in the image of Christ, okay? And so there's a spiritual authority. There's a spiritual authority when the elders of the church set doctrine or vision that hopefully is biblical in line with the great commission and the great commandment and sets the direction of a church and they handle the word of God to, to guide the church in right doctrine. Because what you believe affects what you do. No question about it. What you, in fact, there, there's probably nothing bigger in your thinking than what you believe about God. Because what you believe about God will affect the things that you do, no doubt about it. And so there's a spiritual authority there when the pastor and the elders guide the church. And the spiritual authority in this passage, according to the Apostle Paul, is reserved for men. Okay? So based on this scripture, and I, this is the so what, okay, of the sermon. This will be very practical and very clear, okay? 
based on this passage of scripture at Coastal, and by the way, the word elder and pastor are used interchangeably in the New Testament, okay, oftentimes. So based upon the scripture at Coastal, pastors and elders will be men, all right? We believe that's what the Bible teaches. And, and while teaching and authority are closely connected, they are also distinct, I believe. Now, here's the wrestle in my own soul, okay? And here's what, this is kind of where Pastor Sean comes down. I don't want to speak for all of my elder board. I don't want to speak for all the church. I'm going to speak about Pastor Sean for a minute, all right? In my spirit and in my understanding of this passage, at this time, the, the corporate teaching time will be reserved for men because I believe that there's a spiritual authority that this carries inside the local church. The role of elder will be reserved for men. And we're going to get into that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in a, in a week or so, okay? Now, I know some of you are about to jump out of your seats and disagree, okay? So, so here's where this gets exceedingly clear, and this is where I would push back and challenge you, okay? Uh, in fact, Paul, I believe, is anticipating the modern church that is frequently giving in to pressure from the modern-day attacks of feminism. And the reason I have not reinterpreted this passage as a local church concern, as a cultural problem, that we cannot interpret this in later generations to allow women to become pastors is because, because Paul grounds his argument in created order. I want you to hear that. In fact, I'm going I'm to be honest with you. Okay, When I walk into a church and I see a woman pastor, okay, I'm not angry and I'm not phobic. Okay, don't label me as folk. What my mind goes to is what do you do with this passage? How, how are you? And, and, and then I ask, well, what's your authority? Is it you? Is it culture? Because when I look at this passage, Paul grounds his argument in created order. I want you to hear this, okay? This is very important. This is pre fall, there's no sin. God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in paradise, and it was perfect. And I believe it's a reflection of what God intended for the human race in perfection. Does that make sense? They're living in paradise. And my question is, could it be that God's original design of functional order was part of God's good plan to reveal his greatest glory through humanity? Could that be? And could it be that God really does know best how men and women best glorify God? So check this out, okay? Check this out in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. For God made Adam first, and afterwards he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. Church order is grounded in created order. Everybody hear that? And, and when I look at these two verses, my soul is gripped by the fact that God created, uh, created Adam and Eve in a perfect place where there was submission and there was headship and there was functional order, not part of the fall of man. Here's what came in after the fall. You ready? Abuse came in after the fall. Laziness came in after the fall. The usurping of authority came in after the fall. And church, our job is to be recovering God's original design, yes? 
We pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray what? Your kingdom, your what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to be recovering. We're to be pursuing God's original design for humanity. All that was broken and lost. And what does this include? Men, it includes giving spiritual leadership in your home and in your churches. Here's what I mean by that. It means you lovingly lead your home. You lovingly lead your home. You lead with kindness. You lead with servant leadership. You die to yourself. There's no, not even a hint of abuse in your home. I can tell you right now, man, if, if, if you have to come home and quote some verse about submission, you're doing it wrong. If you and your wife come to my office, you say, well, he's always quoting me this verse. I can say, you're doing it wrong. I can tell you that because a man that will die to self and leave loving, lead lovingly and lead with kindness and lead with self-sacrifice and doesn't sit on the couch when he comes home after a hard day at work and let mom do all the work with all the kids and everything and flip through channels. And then you want your wife to go to bed and make love to you because you've done nothing. You've lost your mind, man. Yes? And that's what we've done. It's laziness. It's sunk into our homes and in our leadership. Okay? But men need to be given lo loving, steady direction and leadership. Men should be, they should be providing a place of safety and protection in their homes and in their churches. And women are to be helpmates. They're to be complete, completing men, coming alongside in a gentle and a humble way. The word Eve means what? Does anybody know what the word Eve means? You should write this in your notes. I don't think I have a blank for it. It means life giver. That's what Eve means. When Adam was given Eve, in the accidental feminist, Courtney Rasick says this. She says, Eve imaged God in two distinct ways from Adam, as a helper and as a life giver. She was uniquely able to complete Adam as a helper in the divine calling of ruling God's creation. She was also uniquely suited to bring life into the world as the mother of all living things, which is the meaning of her name. She possesses gifts and abilities that complement Adam and glorify God in the garden. Life-giving is a specific and amazing quality given to women. Eve was designed to nurture, care for, cultivate life in God's creation. I love that. Women are to be life-giving. I... Uh, I always tell people that our elders are made up of the senior pastor on several lay elders. They're men because we believe that's what the Bible teaches. However, okay, Pastor Sean has a great marriage to his wife. I've been married for 20 years. We've been serving together in ministry for 15 years. In leading this church, my wife has joined me in the journey emotionally, spiritually, it's been an interesting journey with its ups and downs. And you better believe because, because the Bible says the two become one, I bring it home and we talk about it. And so here's my joke, but it's not really a joke. If you think that Jen Brown is not in an elders meeting, you've lost your mind, okay? She's right there alongside of me. I know what she thinks. And by the way, it's the same thing for all the men that serve because we make sure that the men that serve have great marriages and the two become one. And there's great women that are around us helping us give leadership to this church. No doubt about it. And it should be that way. Does that make sense? This passage 
uh, is clear about culpability, the fall of the human race into sin. It was both Adam and Eve. Eve was deceived, is what Paul says, which means what for Adam? It's worse for Adam, right? Adam was not deceived. Adam laid down his God-given role to protect his wife. Adam was asleep on the job, and worse yet, Adam sinned willfully, which is why in Romans chapter 5, Paul reminds us that Adam, it was Adam and not Eve that's responsible for having sin enter humanity. Why was it Adam? Because he was left in charge. There was a functional order inside the Garden of Eden. They're equal in soul, yes, but they're different in role. And so the church should be seeking to recapture all that was lost in the garden, bringing a little heaven to earth, life-giving, self-sacrificing, honoring the roles of men and women. Finally, Paul reminds in this great passage of the great honor of being a woman. Ready for this? How do we honor women? It's the idea of Mother's Day. It's the idea of Mother's Day. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, but women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Now, the back end of this command about faith, love, holiness, and modesty, of course, applies to all Christians. And he's bringing us back to what he taught earlier in a passage about modesty. But Paul is not talking. Surely, I hope you understand that this passage, Paul's not talking about salvation from the penalty of sin. Okay? That's clearly through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is not saying that all women will be moms. Paul is making a general but universal truth that being a mom is unique to women. Yes? I know we're getting confused about that in our culture, okay? <laughs> but being a mom is unique to women. There are differences between men and women. I know that's shocking to the feminists of this culture, okay? But there are differences. And being a mom is unique to women, and it's a special relationship that no one can have. Eve is the giver of life. So, without child, uh, so even without children, a woman can be a life giver. I want to read you one more quip from this, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this sermon up, okay? I want to I read this about what it means to be a life giver. This is from a woman, a quote from Susan Hunt, all right? Mothers give life, not just birth. Every woman is called to be a life giver in every relationship and ministry God entrusts to our care. All redeemed women are mothers in Israel. Words of encouragement give life to the discouraged. Ministries of compassion infuse life into the weary and the worn. Ministries of availability and hospitality beyond kith and kin model the covenant way of life. Ministries to unsaved neighbors give glimpses of life. When we live the life of the love of loving kindness, we impart life in a myriad of mothering roles. Ladies, you're the daughters of Eve. You've been called to be life givers. A couple weeks ago, we rightfully honored moms for their thankful, thankless, and oftentimes overlooked work that they do serving their families. We do this on Mother's Day. And except for Adam and Eve, and even that I could be wrong, but I suspect I'm not, every human being ever born has a belly button. Why is that? There's a unique connection between every child and his mother. And this special and unique relationship is to be honored by all. I want to tell you something. I want to wrap up with this. We have some amazing women at Coastal Community Church. 
I, I can't list them all, okay? But week in and week out, our children's director, Elena Rogers, is teaching your children about the gospel of Jesus Christ. She leads a volunteer base of over 150 people. And she does it with incredible leadership, incredible ability, incredible grace. You are blessed to have her as your children's director. Bethany Lay is our director of operations. She played a huge part in helping us get the Kroger deal by organizing our finances and making sure we could provide we, we could we could provide our banks with organization. She organizes the building, she organizes the simulation. Our staff and elders' wives are amazing women of God. Our treasurer is a woman that helps make sure our finances are have good oversight. We have great women investing in the college young women at Coastal Community Church. We have some great women investing in your middle school and high school students imparting the word of God to the next generation. And ladies, I can assure you that this is not a pastor that says you sit back and do nothing. If God has gifted and equipped you, there is a place that you can serve. And man, I can assure you, no woman would balk at serving a man who loves and cares and dies to self above all else. A man who says, you know what? I'm going to give us leadership in praying together. A man who says, you know what? I'm going to give leadership make sure we get out the door and go to church on the weekend services. A man who says, you know what? We're going to give leadership saying we're going to join a small group or we're going to find a place to serve or we're going to go on a missions trip together. The Bible's very clear. We have different roles and they are beautiful by design by our creator for his glory and for his fame for the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of this passage. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I know this was a tough passage. I know there's probably some questions in this room, but Father, we are committed to the word of God as the word of God. We want to be a church that's built on the truth of your word. And we submit to it as our authority. Because God, you knitted up the world. You know how it best works. You know how your church best functions, God. God, I want to thank you for the women of this church that are amazing, godly women to help give leadership to ministries and teach your word accurately. Pass on the word of God from one generation to the next. God, I pray for the men of this church, God, that we would not fall into the trap of laziness or any form of abuse, but rather we would recapture a leadership that Jesus modeled that dies to self and serves others. So that, God, we are building on a foundation that can uplift the gospel of Christ to a culture that is desperate to hear it and to be free indeed. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Church, today was kind of instructional more than go do this. All right. So you had some understanding about the foundations of Coastal. However, if you're here this morning and you have a prayer need, you need someone to minister to you. Okay. We have our prayer team members are here on the front row uh, and they will be here during the 
the closing song, and they'll be here after the service if you would like to pray with someone. Uh, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. Uh, don't feel an obligation to give. This is one of the ways we worship God at Coastal Community Church. If you'd like to join in that, you're certainly welcome to. As a guest, I'd love to, love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin. It's a tear-off. If you'd fill that out, drop that in an offering basket, and uh, we want to send you a thank you card for coming. And so with that, ushers, would you come forward? And Joey, would you lead us in singing? No, no. 